following message is by Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. This morning, I want to talk about something I think all of us can relate to. And the title of the message today, it's called Christ-Centered Busyness. Anyone busy in here? Anybody? If you're a parent and you're not busy, man, I'm calling DCFS. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please strike that from the record. Okay. (laughs) Um, I want to let you guys know about a story about myself. About, I don't know, a few months ago, uh, I sort of lost my way. Every Sunday morning, I'd be involved with setup here. I would be involved with leading the children's church worship, and I would be involved with the youth group ministry. And in the midst of all of these things, Sunday just became another work day. Just another day where I punch in my card, I do my thing, and set up. If you guys have ever seen me on a Sunday morning, today, when you're preaching, you don't have to set up, so I look nice and dry clean. But if you catch me on a regular Sunday, I'm sweating. And honestly, there have been members like, are you okay? Like, you're really sweating. But other people that have known me for a long time are like, that's normal. You should see them on a bad day. And so I just got so consumed with the busyness of a Sunday morning. And I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I'm setting up the, the, the drapes, setting up the chairs, getting things ready. And then I had to practice the children's church worship with our youth group girls because they're doing the motions. I'm singing the songs and getting that ready. And then once that time comes, I'm getting prepared to sing the songs with the kids. And then after that, I have a youth group message to teach. So I run into the room and they're waiting for me. Just kind of, They're all very good kids. So they're just like, they're not praying, but they're not doing anything bad. So there's... Oh, you're here. Okay, let's start. And so, and I was just like on the treadmill running and trying to keep up with this pace. But the entire time, my heart was growing very bitter, very resentful. I would wake up on a Sunday morning and just think, oh my gosh, here it goes again. I got it set up. I got to do these drapes again. I got to do these chairs again. And just getting in that mode. And it was really causing a lot of bitterness and resentment in my heart. And little did I realize that all of that busyness that I was consumed with, I was consumed with validating myself. What does that mean? That means I was finishing this sentence. I'm a good pastor because I set up, I lead children's church worship, and I do youth group. I'm good, good job, pastor. And I was just running at it, and it came to the point where I was so busy on a Sunday, I didn't know what the point of Sunday was. I just got so consumed with it. And I wanted to ask this question that's been driving in my heart, and I don't know if you've, it's been driving in your heart, but in the midst of our busyness, how do we be centered in Jesus? I know at least 99.9% of people in this room are busy. Unless you're retired and you're not doing anything at all, you just lock your door or you just sit there and do nothing. But I'm pretty sure 99.9% of every person listening to this message in this room is busy. And in the midst of that busyness, how do we stay centered in Jesus? 
Think about your work day. I know Sunday mornings are typically like a day where you're not thinking about work. I want you to think about work. Think about your outlook. Think about your email. What is that project that's due this week? Deadlines, meetings, and that busyness, you begin to feel it. But also, this is our life too. When we're together with our family members, we're at the dinner table. And if you look at this picture, is anyone even eating? They are busy on their phones. And that, that's become the culture. Like, I've hung out with some of my friends, and they're like on their phone the entire time. I'm like, I'm, I'm right here. You don't need to text me. I'm here. And we're just so consumed, right? Think about the moms in this room. There's so many things you need to get done. The children's activities, the sports, the homework, all of these doing house chores. The ho- for me, if you're like me, you're waiting for that last time to mow the lawn before you could just say, hey, winter's here. And I'm just holding up. But I know I've got to do something like that. I, it's on my schedule of things to do. And when I picked out this picture, I'm like, this picture is so fake, man. This mom's got all her hair is combed. There's no stains on her shirt. Uh, she's got an iPad and she's making dinner. Like, this is honestly my house. Okay? There's five children in here, which is Cynthia's dream, but that's not literally our house. But this is really what it feels like, right? This kind of busyness and this craziness and just trying to keep up. But not only stuff to do, but hey, man, I like pleasure. I like Netflix. I like the bulls. I I like, I don't really like books, but I know there are people here in my youth group who love books. (laughs) But we get so wrapped up in all of these things. We, this is the number one priority for me. I got to get this done. And I, I just, I'm just so busy. And that's our American culture. My son Josiah complained to me the other day. He's eight years old. He's like, Dad, I'm just so busy. <laughs> but the reality is our life is not going to get any less busy. Right? Amen? Amen? I was just talking to a brother this morning. He's like, hey, man, I know it's really busy with your kids now. They're small. Once they grow up, the business doesn't go away. I'm like, seriously? Like, I need some hope, man. <laughs> but that's the truth. So in the midst of the busyness, how do we get centered in Jesus? We're going a familiar story this morning. Mary and Martha, the story that we've all heard. I want to reflect on this because I think there's a message here for us this morning and to hear from the Word. Let's read together Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. And if you have your Bibles, feel free to open. If not, feel free to join us here on the screen. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And this is the thing about Martha. She's awesome at what she does. She is not lazy. She is not a slouch. She gets to work, and she gets 
busy. And not only does she get to work and get busy, but she's a great host. When people come, she's ready to entertain and take care of them so her guests feel great. In that time, the culture expectation was this. Women, go into the kitchen, prepare the food, prepare for the guests. The men, sit down. And during this time, that's exactly what was happening. Martha knew people are coming over. Jesus, his 12 disciples are coming by to eat a meal. I'm going into the kitchen because I want to be considered a good host. And back in that time, a woman of uh, notable character was a woman that was a great host. And so she was doing exactly what the cultural expectation was. This woman is moving 100 miles per hour in the kitchen and getting the table set and getting all the preparations ready. And as she's in the midst of doing all of this, where's her sister? Wait, where's Mary? I don't see her in the kitchen. Is she with the boys? What? And you can imagine that frustration that anger. Now, I want to bring it to my cultural context because when I was growing up, my parents hosted all the time. And when they hosted, my job was just to answer the door. All I do is answer the door. My mom in the kitchen getting stuff ready, and my dad, what's he doing? Trying to find the right TV station, or he'd be using his laser disc player. You remember that thing? And so, My mom would be working furiously, and so when guests would come over, I would open the door, I would do the cultural Korean thing, you know, 안녕하세요, and they would come in, and without even being told what to do, every woman that walked through that door, where's the kitchen? I I need to go. And they would make a beeline to the kitchen, and they knew exactly what to do. And that's how I grew up, and that's sort of how I understood things. What did all the dudes do? All the men? Oh, hey. Sit on the couch. Watch TV. Maybe talk, because, you know, Asian men don't talk a lot. How are you? Good. Oh, that's good. And that was it. And so that cultural expectation and growing up, that's how it was. My wife, my wife is half Japanese, half Chinese. When we got engaged, we made a trip out to Springfield, Missouri. And as we went out there, you know, I, I'm a pretty, you know, easygoing guy, not really nervous about meeting people. So we go into the house, they prepare a dinner, and I walk in, and who's on the couch? All the women. And I was like, where, where are the guys? I walk a little further. All the dudes are making dinner. And I, <laughs> yeah! And, I, and I'm just like, what do I do? Do, do I go into the kitchen? Because if I do, it's going to be a disaster. Or do I stay with the women? But they're just chit-chat. I don't know what to do. I sat with the women. And I felt very comfortable, too. <laughs> But you see, that, that was how Cynthia was raised, and that's how she grew up. And so when we got married, we moved into a condo in Chicago, and we hosted our first family, right? I opened the door like I always do. Hey, welcome. Come on in. And I proceeded to the couch, because that's what dudes do. That's what men do. I went to the couch, and I sat down talking to my friends, and then Cynthia sat down. There's nobody in the kitchen. And you know, we're so newly married that we don't have those nonverbal cues like, hey. So I get up. I don't want us to look bad. I don't want to be known like, dude, they don't know how to host anybody. So I get, I go into the kitchen. I'm getting stuff ready. And how's my heart? 
what's, is she laughing? Seriously. Like, I'm getting all this stuff ready, and you're laughing. And there is a lot of bitterness in my heart. And we had a conversation afterwards, and it was fun. We can laugh about it. That's 10 years ago. We can laugh about it now. But that is how Martha is feeling. What are you doing, Mary? you got to be in the kitchen. You're supposed to be here with me, not sitting with the boys and doing whatever you want to do. And so what does Martha do? Now the emotions are overflowing. Jesus is in the midst of teaching his disciples. And Martha, with such boldness, like, walks up. And I can just imagine her, like, stomping her feet. Lord, aren't you going to tell her to help? I'm doing everything myself. Can you please tell her to go into the kitchen? And we see her heart at that moment. And how does Jesus respond? He says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things. And he identifies what's going on inside. Even though outwardly she's doing everything that she's supposed to be doing, inwardly her heart is far from any, anything about Jesus. It's really just about her. I want to look like a good host, and she's making me look bad. When we prioritize our busyness, we're chasing after our own significance. When we prioritize our busyness, that everything gets a priority, we're actually indirectly maybe chasing our own significance. And I shared about that setting up for ICC. It wasn't like, oh, I want to serve God and set up drapes and set up chairs. I want to be like... Look at me. I'm a great pastor. Look at all the stuff that I do. And I want to build my own reputation. It wasn't about God. Sunday was about me. And that's the heart that Mary, Martha has at this time. Tim Greeter, a writer for the New York Times, he wrote a piece about busyness. And this is what he writes. It's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily, classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. They're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence. Almost everyone I know is busy. They feel anxious and guilty when they're either working or doing something to promote their work. They schedule in time with friends the way students with 4.0 GPAs make sure to sign up for community service because it looks good on their college applications. Busyness serves as, an existen- as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked and in demand every hour of the day. And what Tim Greeter is saying is that, in a sense, our busyness is giving worth to our life. We're trying to find our purpose in the schedules that we've jam-packed. And that's how we feel like, I'm worth something. I'm important. I'm a good worker because I do all of this stuff. Or I'm a good father because I do all of this stuff. I'm a good mother because I do all of this. And we're looking for our significance in our busyness, in our schedules. But what is Jesus calling us to? 
I'm so thankful that in the New Testament, Jesus broke down Ten Commandments into two. Amen? Because till this day, I still don't know the Ten Commandments. Bad pastor, right? <laughs> Jesus made it so simple because he knew people like me. He's not going to remember ten. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, in those two simple commandments, that is what he's asking from us. That's what he's calling to us. We let our schedules and external pressures dictate our lives and priorities, and we wander. We wander away from Jesus. Just like that song we just sang, Oh, wanderer, come home. You're not too far. And we are prone to wander. Amen? I know I am. I know I am. And that was the struggle I had in my heart in setting up at ICC. I wandered away from what God wanted from me. I didn't even want to meet with him on a Sunday. I just wanted to get my tasks done and then go home and rest for real. And I want to ask you this morning, where is your heart? Think about your schedule, all the activities that you're consumed with and that you're doing. Where is your heart at? Charles Hummel, a Christian author, says this, Christians who are too busy to stop, take spiritual inventory, and receive their assignments from God become slaves to the tyranny of the urgent. They may work day and night to achieve much that seems significant to themselves and others, but they don't complete the work God has them to do. When we don't stop and evaluate everything that we're doing and really asking God, God, is this really what you want from me? Is this really what you're asking from me? And honestly, a lot of times, if you're like me, you're not even concerned about his opinion. I got stuff to do. I got a reputation to uphold. I got a business to take care of. I got to do this. But have you even asked and stopped to slow down, Jesus, what is it that you want from me and how do you want me to do it? In the 10 years that I've married about Cynthia, she always asked me before every sermon, like, are there any illustrations about me? I said, don't, don't worry, I'm, I'm staying in the safe zone, okay? Nothing crazy. <laughs> but in the 10 years of being married to her, I've learned this. Even though we've spent 12 hours in the same room doing activities, we could be physically in the same place watching a movie or just doing a bunch of stuff. But if we haven't talked, now I have to explain this for a minute. Talking means not literally just talking. Talking means sitting down, turning off the phone, computer, turning on a movie for the kids, eye-to-eye contact, and sharing your heart. In 10 years of marriage, and it almost took me 10 years, literally, (laughs) to learn that that is what she wants from me, that connection, that understanding we're on the same page. We're in this marriage together. Because I know a lot of times what it feels like, I've got a million action items, you've got a million action items. As long as you do your job, I do my job. Our marriage, A-OK. But for her, if even every action item was done and we haven't connected, our marriage is not doing well. 
And I think that's really similar to what it means to connecting with Jesus, is being on the same page as him and understanding his heart and what he wants from us, what he wants from you. And that connection to Jesus is not only something that he's inviting us to, but it's what you and I need. It's what you and I desperately need. Because if we're not connected to Christ, we're going to start doing this. You know what? I'm going to pursue my success. I'm a Christian. I've said the prayer, but I'm going to pursue success at any means possible. Whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it. Rather than asking Jesus, I have this desire to be successful, but what does that even look like to you? What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? And how do we do that? I think number one, I slow down. Put into park. Have that time when you and Jesus can see eye to eye. And you let him inspect you and look into your heart. Jesus tells us through this story that this is important. It's really important. This is a priority for us. In Luke chapter 10, verses 41 to 42, but one thing is necessary. Uh, But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And this is something that we've always heard. And I know that there could be some Marthas in, Martha's in this room or Martins in this room saying like, hey, if every one of us were married, there are no chairs to sit in. There are no drapes, right? But talking, making this the priority. And Mary, I am pretty sure that she knew the cultural expectation for her. I'm pretty sure she felt the pressure like, I need to go into the kitchen But what I really need to do is hear what Jesus has to say. I really want to know what his thoughts are. I really want to know what he's telling these guys because I need him just like these disciples need him. And she was willing to become socially awkward and sit with the men. Say, I'm hungry. I want to hear. I want to know. And so when Martha barges in and says, aren't you going to tell her, like, she needs to get into the kitchen? Any person listening to this story at that time would agree with Martha. What's that girl doing? Mary shouldn't be sitting on the floor with the men. She should be in the kitchen. And that's ultimately the expectation that Martha has too. Like, you're going to agree with me, right, Jesus? Like, we're on the same page here. But what does Jesus do? He begins to teach, really teach now. Martha, you're you're anxious and troubled about a lot of different things. But the one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. I endorse this. I approve of what she's doing. And I'm not going to kick her out into the kitchen. I don't care about what the social expectation is. This is where I want her to be. And through that approval, Jesus is endorsing to us today, this is what he wants This is what he wants from us. And when we do that, it's an attitude of dependence. 
is no longer I have to have this time with God, but we recognize our deep need. I need it. I need to hear from him. I want to know what he has to say to me. Prioritizing our need for Jesus will align our hearts with his priorities and his desires. Do you hear that? Prioritizing our need for Jesus will align our hearts with his priorities and his desires. That we're not off on a tangent anymore, but we are now following. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to run my department? How do you want me to lead my family? How do you want me to minister to my wife or serve my husband? How do you want me to do these things? And I know for me, oftentimes I have to pray this, God, how am I going to deal with that coworker again today? They are rude. They are obnoxious. And every person is egging me on to just unload on that person. And I have to align my heart with Christ. Say, Jesus, what do you want in this situation for me? Tim Keller says this, Many people are willing to mortgage their souls to work, but at a certain point, Christians have to say, I'm willing to set fewer goals, not go up the ladder as fast, and even risk not accomplishing as much. And ultimately, I don't need to be incredibly successful. I can choose this path of freedom because of the inner rest I've received from Jesus Christ through what he has done for me. You see, what Keller's saying is that Christians, we don't need to sell our souls to our company. We don't need to sell our souls to success. We no longer need to say, I'm a good Christian because I do X, Y, and Z. But Christ has done it all for you. You are fully loved, fully known. And you don't need to strive anymore to earn love, but that you're loved by him. And so we don't need to get entangled and think, what is my neighbor doing? What are my friends doing? Uh, If they're doing it and they're doing it, I I should probably be doing the same thing. And rather than going to Christ and asking him to align your priorities and your heart, you're just doing what everyone else is doing. So here's the opportunity. Here's the opportunity this morning and to make Christ the priority. There's a story that I, I've heard, and it's called the Priorities Jar. Has anybody heard of this? All right, it's a, it's a story I teach about uh, at work, and it's a great story. A professor once walked into a, a classroom, and he had this empty jar. And in this empty jar, he just said, all right, class, I'm going to ask you a question. Is this jar full yet? So he takes some big rocks, puts them on the table, and begins to put them in the jar. And he asks the class, is the jar full yet? Class is sort of confused, like, yes, no. No, it's not full yet. So he gets out a a bunch of gravel, pours the gravel into the jar, shakes it up, pours more gravel into it, shakes it up. And he asks the class, is the jar full yet? Some of the class is catching on. No, it's not. 
You're right. He gets some sand out, pours the sand into the jar, shakes it up, sand, keeps pouring it in. Now he asks, is the jar full yet? They all, no, it's not full yet. Yes, okay, now he gets water, pours water into the jar, and now it's overflowing, making a mess, and he asks the class, is the jar full yet? Yes, it's full. There's nothing else you can put into it. And then he asks the class, what's the point of this? And then an eager beaver, probably in the front row, like, I know, you know. You're telling us that no matter how full you think your jar is, you can always put in more. And the professor is like, no, that's, that's not the point of it. The point of this story is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you're never going to get them in at all. If you don't put the big rocks in first, and you start with the sand and the gravel and the water, you're never going to get that big rock into the jar. Our big rock, our priority, is not just getting the work done for your job and answering every email that you have to, or getting the house in order and putting all your chores and getting it done and mowing the lawn. That big rock, that priority for us, is connecting with Jesus connecting with him. How do we stay in a a life that's so busy and the busyness that's never going to go away? How do we stay centered in Jesus? That is prioritizing him, making him the first priority of your morning. You see what I am not the person that put the big rock in first. I was the guy that started with the sand. There are times in my career where I said, you know what? I want that promotion so bad, I am going to work my tail off to get it. And I pushed and pushed and worked so hard to the point where my wife is like, this thing is becoming more than just a job. Like, there's something going on. And that became my biggest rock. I need to do my work. I need to look good. I want to get that promotion. And I pushed myself and pushed myself. And that was my biggest priority. Ask me if I even asked God about it. Nope. I didn't ask about his opinion because I had something I wanted to do. And so I was chasing after him. Guess how I felt afterwards? So happy and gleeful. No, I felt burnt out, tired, bitter. And so maybe it's not work. For you, maybe pleasure. Like there's this great verb that we've created. It's called binge watching. Have you ever heard of binge watching? It's great. Netflix has the entire season, and all you have to do is keep clicking. One of my youth group members said, you know what's annoying? That 15-second delay to the next episode. <laughs> and no one's, everyone's too lazy to press play, so they just like, oh, 15 seconds? Seriously? Just play it. And I would think, oh, I have all this free time. You know, I'm going to binge watch every show that I've ever missed. It just like, you know, to the point where I watched it on an iPad, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I'll lay down watching it, and you're so tired. What happens to the iPad? Oh, and that's happened multiple times. I'm, like, I'm going to be so happy and binge watch this show. Oh, man, falling asleep. And how do I feel after I finish two, three seasons? How do I feel? Empty. The story's over. I, oh, my gosh, I wasted how many hours just doing that? And I made that my big rock. And so I came to this realization. I need to make that big rock my priority with Jesus. 
And so what I, I've been trying to do, I'm not a perfect person, but what I've been trying to do, what it looks like is this. I wake up, I'm an early riser. Most youth group parents get emails from me around 5 or 6 a.m. because that's what I'm doing, some of the stuff. I take a shower, I get ready, I watch some ESPN, got to know the highlights. But then after that, once I'm done, I shut everything off, all the lights are off, it's still dark out. I go to my brown couch and I kneel down. And because everyone's sleeping, I can hear my heart. And I just begin to quietly just sit still before God. And then whatever starts coming out of my heart, I begin to pray. And I'm not one of those people that pray quietly. Like, I just can't pray in my mind because I start thinking about like 10 different things. And so I audibly begin to pray. And I unload my heart to Jesus. And I go to his word. And I I just want to hear from him. And I want to know what he wants from me. And brothers and sisters, that's really the call this morning. All of you have so many busy schedules after church today. But prioritizing our big rock. that I need to connect with Jesus. I need to hear from him. I want to know his heart. Charles Hummel says this, prayerful waiting on God is indispensable to effective service. In prayer, we learn the truth about God, ourselves, and the tasks He wants us to undertake. Slowing down and stopping. Doesn't mean you have to do it like I do it, but you have to carve out that time somewhere And make this the priority for you. I know kids have to eat. And I know you can't just ignore people. But in a sense, there's a time that you need to. Mary chose to be socially awkward and just say, I need to connect with God now. And that we need to make this our biggest rock, connecting with Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates this to us perfectly. Even before the Garden of Gethsemane, the Son of God, where did he go? He went to God in prayer. He sought him out. And even he, and like, it's amazing that we can know what he prayed. If this cup could be taken away from me, but not my will, your will be done. And Jesus teaches us this is prayer, where he is aligning us to what he wants. Not what we want, but what he wants from us. And you know, my heart changed for that ICC setup. My heart changed as God was changing me. And this, these Sunday mornings are no longer about just setting up and getting the work done and doing worship and teaching a message to the youth group. But now I'm praying through it. And I, when we set up, I want God to bless you. I want you to meet with Him. I want you to hear from Him. And I gla- I'll set up a hundred more chairs if you need it. But that's why I do it. And for the children's ministry, I, I want them to love worship. I want them to love singing songs. I want them to connect with God in this way and to have great memories. When people say, oh, church is so boring, they're going to say, hey, not my church. My church is the bomb, right? And this guy that leads worship, he's so crazy. And I want them to love Christ in that way. And the same with my youth group. They're here today. And my heart for them is that it would no longer be head knowledge, but heart knowledge, and that their faith would explode. 
And no longer is it just a busy Sunday. But it's a Sunday that I want God's priority to be my priority. I want Him to be working in and through me. I love this verse. And I love it that we were singing it. Because this is His invitation to you and to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Teach me, Jesus. Teach me how to do this. My life does not feel like this, so teach me. Teach me to take your yoke upon me. I want to learn from you, and I want to know what you want me to do. The last story I want to share is about uh, me at work. I was about to teach a management class, and this management class is about six hours long. It goes from eight to three, and um, I'm the only teacher for it. And so I want to be prepared. I'm, I'm teaching people that are directors and managers at the company. They're, they, they're high up there, and I don't want to look like a fool. You know, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to look bad. And, and so I got to work at 5 a.m. I know it's an ungodly hour, but I got to work at 5 a.m. because I want to have my notes ready. I want to be on point. I want to look right, and I just want to, everything to be set. And so as I was walking in, I saw a security guard there, and he was working the third shift. And as I was signing in, I told this guy, hey, man, I used to work the third too. It's brutal. He's like, I actually work second and third. I was like, oh, my Oh my gosh. And he's like, I want my, my wife and I, we have a baby and I want her to stay at home and that's why I work. And, and so after I'd signed in, I just said, hey, thank you, daddy, for working so hard. And, and I just went on my way, you know, doing my thing, getting ready for the class. Around 5.30 in the morning, you know, no one's at work. It's just me. And I hear a knock at the door. And I'm like, oh. I look, it's a security guard. And he's like, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but um, I just want to ask you, like, how do you handle all of life? I had told him I had four kids. I was working a full-time job, and, and he just opened up his heart and began to share his heart with me, unsolicited. He just began to share and say he had moved from Texas to Chicago, and, and he, him and his wife were living with their in-laws, and they, had used, to go to, they used to go to church, and now they don't. And, and they're two people that served in the military, and they had PTSD. His, his wife sometimes would scream in the middle of the night, and, and like she'd be washing, trying to wash blood off her hands because she's having these flashbacks and just pouring out his heart to me. And at that moment, I honestly had this thought, I got a class. I got to get ready. But in my heart of hearts, I knew this does not happen at 5.30 in the morning on accident. This does not happen by chance. And so I pushed my notes aside. I said, Lord, just lead me in this. And I just began to share with him my heart and just saying, hey, I know, you know, Usually on a work day, my shirt's tucked in. I look a lot nicer than I do today. And I just said, anything that you see here is not because I made all the right choices. But Jesus changed my life. And he's done this work in my life, in my heart. And because he went to church before, I said, bro, get back to him. Get back to Christ. You can work five jobs. 
It's not going to be enough. Get back with Jesus. And I wrote down some churches for him to go to in Chicago, and I prayed for him. And I entrusted him into the Father's hands. And you see, in our busy schedule, we could think, I've got stuff to do. Like, i got something to do. And you feel the pressure of it. But God had brought this about. And I changed my priority. I said, this is, the pri- this is of eternal significance. And when we make Christ the big rock, the major priority, he will realign us to what he wants from us. Christ-centered busyness prioritizes our need for Jesus. And I hope this morning you feel that need. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And for many of us here, this may be the quietest moment of the day today. And I want us, as the piano is going to be playing, I want us to slow down and begin to speak and connect to Jesus and laying out your heart. Are you angry here this morning? Are you frustrated? Are you disappointed? Are you discouraged? Pour out your heart to him and ask him, Jesus, will you teach me? Will you lead me? Will you guide me? Let's go to the Lord this morning and just take a moment to pray and connect with him and have him lead us. Is there something this morning that you need to give up? You've been pursuing, going after other things that that aren't what God wants for you. This morning is a time to unload that. Ask Him to align you to His priorities, to His desires for you. Let's take a moment to pray that. 